Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real life property, business, and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. So, welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. As you know, we've kind of mixed the podcast up a bit now. We've got a bit of a video going on and a podcast. The reason for doing that was there was a lot of people saying, hey, James, I'm at home. I don't listen to podcasts anymore, but I do watch videos. So I thought, ha, you lot ain't getting away with this one. What I'm going to do is get a video out there as well as a podcast so that everybody is getting full effect of what's going on. Guys, this week, I'm super excited to introduce to you what I'm calling as emerging power couple. I've seen these guys around before. I've seen them on the social scene, and I think they're doing some fantastic things. It's the first time I've ever interviewed a couple together, so I'm super, super excited and looking forward to this. Um, Like I said, they're doing some really, really nice stuff. I've been following their Instagram for a long time, some really cool projects going on, and they seem like some really decent people. So um, I'm very happy to introduce Andrew and Mary to the J2 Hub podcast this morning. Welcome, guys. Thank Morning, you. James. Thanks Thanks for us. No problems at all, guys. No problems at all. So I'm going to start off by asking you, it's a bit of an odd time at the moment. We're in isolation. How's it been treating you guys? Um, yeah, we're getting on. We're getting all right. We like each other's company, so we're getting on okay in isolation in the house. Um, we've still got one project that we're trying to push along on site, so um, we are getting out, out of the house Um which has given us a bit of a break from the four walls inside inside the inside the flat. Um, yeah, but yeah, we're right. getting on okay. Yeah, we've been uh, limiting who works at the property, as you know, because of the restrictions and everything else, and we just want to keep everyone safe. Um, but yeah, so far, not too bad. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you haven't killed each other yet? <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> right, guys, I'm going to flip this up. I'm going to ask you one of the questions that most people ask right at the end. So what is your, what's your end goal and vision? What does your vision board look like? What's it look like for the both of you? Where do you want to be right at the end? I'm going to start right at the end and work backwards. Well, that, that, that's a hint of our, <laughs> of our vision board. We're, we just love to travel. Uh, we want to visit every country in the world. Um, and that's the long-term aim. And that's what we want property to help support us do, support us to do. So that's what we're, um, that's what we're looking to get our property. And that's, that's the same for both of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we obviously went, we, a few years ago, we quit our jobs and went traveling. Um, and we got a taste of how amazing life could be and how different life could be. And um, to be able to uh, be financially free and get back to that, uh, we'd love to do that, wouldn't we? We'd love yeah. to live abroad uh, and spend our time in different cultures. Yeah. Is there one particular place you want to call home or do you just want to hop around? Yeah, I think we'd, um, we'd so last time we, when we went, what Mary mentioned before, when we went traveling, we quit our jobs, went for a year and we did quite a bit of, you know, uh, country hopping and saw quite a lot in a very short space of time. And I think we'd like to be able to do more prolonged travels where we might spend three months in a country or a, or a place at a time and really get to understand and know that culture and learn a bit of the language and things like that so there's a few places we'd love to go spend more time in thailand and um, we'd love to travel through the middle east yeah. go for go on a, go for, go for safari um, in the serengeti in yeah. africa we haven't done the continent of africa um <laughs> And I'm not that fussed about Antarctica, I'll be honest. I'm not very good with cold. <laughs> but, but everywhere else we've done. <laughs> I'll have to go on my own. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so does your vision board just include travel then? Your, when you get to the end, when you've made it where you want to be, is it just travel? Is there anything else you want on there? Um, no, I, I, we've both got... So Mary is a, is a lecturer. She teaches architecture in um, uni. Um, so you, you already have a teaching background, but That's right. I think we'd both like to go into that as well, whether that be um, teaching architecture, teaching um, people about being in property. I've got quite, um, I'm quite passionate about um, the whole kind of mindset and 
helping people understand that there's more to life than the kind of nine to five working life that we, we sold. So I think potentially going down that route yeah. um, of, of, of working with people, not really teaching them. I don't really know what yeah. you described as, but yeah, that's probably another long-term vision for the pair of us. I think okay. I'd, uh, um, more me than you, I'd be interested in getting back into painting <laughs> um, and actually helping people through the medium of art. Um, I know that uh, it's so interesting. I used to paint all the time um, before university and obviously at university, seven years of university, I've done architecture and I draw every day, <laughs> but it, it, I don't free paint every day. You know, I don't actually kind of, uh, everything's so accurate and so calculated. Yeah. Um, I just like to free up a canvas and just like splash around on it. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I think uh, a big vision um, for mine would be to paint again and then be able to help other people through the medium of art. Well, it sounds awesome just traveling and painting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. Back out as well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, wow. Guys. Tell me, who's Andrew and Mary in business and in personal life? Um, For people that I don't hope, know I hope, can, I hope people can figure out that. No, I'm Andrew. This is, this is Mary. Hopefully that bit's, um, hopefully that bit's obvious enough. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, we're both, we're both architects by profession. That's what our background is before we, before we came into property. Um, we've got about, what, 15, 16 years combined yeah, experience, experience in, in in the in, field yeah we've done uh, lots of different things so we've worked um as small as kind of single houses to as big as doing airports and um underground stations in london yeah. uh, floating houses and um, heritage buildings and everything like that so we've got a really wide range of experience yeah. and obviously oh. we went to um after traveling we decided to move to australia for a few years and there we did lots of Lots of interesting work as well there, which was really good, really high. We did a project for the mayor of Shanghai who bought a building yeah. in, uh, bought a plot of land in Sydney to build a apartment block on. So you were working yeah, for the amazing. mayor of Shanghai. Everything was marble and gold. It's <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's probably that's a back, background of our profession, business-wise. Yeah, we're um, we've now set up Elite Investor Group. Um, we both still work. Um, I work full time. Mary works part time, lecturing. Yeah. Um, We've set up the investor group. That's that's the vision. That's the dream. Moving into property, um, we've got an SA, a couple of SA units, and we've got um, a couple of HMOs on the go. Um, so yeah, it's early days, but we're um, we're making good progress. If we probably making better progress if it wasn't for COVID, but <laughs> it is what it is. Everyone's in the same boat. That's right. So guys, how did you two meet? And we met at university <laughs> on our yeah. architecture course, as most architecture couples do. <laughs> as simple as that i thought you were going to give me this fantastic story there oh there, oh, there, no, is, there, no. there is a fantastic story <laughs> we, we, um, we uh we <laughs> we uh we went to a trip so we we met each other in masters um yeah. in the university and um a month after the sort of like getting into the university we had a trip to obviously Italy because Italy is the home of architecture and um, one evening uh, so we were collaborating with students in Italy and one evening we were all out in the promenade of this a southern city in the Amalfi coast and um, there was there was a there was a young lady Italian lady that was like slightly harassing Andrew and Andrew <laughs> being as cheeky as he is just to, just to put her off, he came over and he proposed to me as a joke, and we weren't even together then. <laughs> I can't believe you just told that story to the world. That, see, now that's better. That's a good story. <laughs> she then made go. me. She then made me pursue her for what three months as well yeah. after that. So she's lucky that I stuck around this long. Yeah. <laughs> you Listen. know, almost ten years later. <laughs> wow, you couldn't get out of it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I sometimes question whether it was worth all the. Reason. No, I'm joking. No, I'm sure you're doing some great things, guys. Guys, I want to ask you, as business partners and life partners, how does that work for you? Because obviously, you're spending a lot of time together. I've spoken to a few. You know, me and my wife, we've worked together in the past, and we've got kids together. And sometimes it can be very, very testing because when you're just work, 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 there isn't really any quality personal time. 
because uh, you're just even if I find in your personal time you're just talking property or you're talking about a project or something that you're going to do how do you guys um split the two and you know how do you say okay this is our work life this is our personal life or does it just become all one life for you two? I, think, I think it can do I think sometimes you know like we're embedded it's 1am on a Friday night or something and one of us turns to the other and says oh you know such and such and you just have to turn around and go it's one o'clock in the morning. It's Friday night. We're not. No, we're not talking about this. Like either talk about something else or roll over and go to go to sleep. So, so you know, it's it's difficult. And I think if you if you just drained or you think it should be personal time now or whatever, you you just need to speak up and you just need to say that that's what that's what's happening and the other person shouldn't. Um, I mean, shouldn't I mean we don't take judgment of each other if if the other person wants to just switch off and you know needs needs a break. Um, so yeah, it can be difficult in terms of us actually spending all our time together. Um, look, we do we do really enjoy each other's company. We do get on really well with each other. It's not so it's not that big a problem for us. We we took a year out and went travelling together where with just the pair of us. And okay, you might meet people in hostels and things like that, but really is the two of you um, together for for a year and we, we didn't kill each other we only had mm. one major fight in the entire year so yeah we get on well together we work well together i think a good good kind of like if you are in a long-term relationship and you're thinking about uh, or if you're in a relationship and you are thinking about um having the business together it is a really good idea to go on a prolonged holiday or prolonged break <laughs> with each other just to test the water out with spending a lot of time with each other because that's what it will become I think yeah. is a really good tester of a relationship and then it becoming a business relationship and how you communicate with each other and um, kind of yeah yeah in a, in a more, more of time I think when obviously we're in isolation at the moment, but um, kind of in normal day to day, when we do a lot of kind of, uh, we don't tend to see each other during the day, which, no. yeah, which, which got all kind of sometimes, because I, I'm obviously lecturing and you're obviously at work, so we don't see each other too much. And then we have, we have date nights, which is really nice. Um, so we do try to go out once a week um, definitely just to take our mind off everything else and focus on being together as a couple and um, so I think that helps as well having date nights yeah I think so, we definitely improved as we've gone along as well I think we trod on each other's toes a lot at the beginning and I think it's really clear to uh, it's really important to really clearly define your roles who's doing what and um, we've got very different personalities and skill sets so it was quite easy for us once we actually said look we're we're just doing jobs twice. It's not even stepping on each other's toes. We're just doing the same things twice and it's just wasting time. So um, just clearly defining who's doing what and whose role is what. And therefore, if something doesn't get done, you know why it's not being done and it was your responsibility or whatnot. Yeah, so we, we started to, I think after a month of being <laughs> starting Elite Investor Group, we realised we weren't being as productive as we could. Um, and because we, we have different skill sets although we're both architects, we do have different skill sets. Um, we decided to write down the list of who's going to do what task, who's going to do what task, and then kind of stuck to it from then on. And we timetable ourselves. So we have, for example, Asana or Trello, and we put tasks under each person um, of like what we should do and what you should do and kind yeah. of keep keep to it. You run a lot of the social media uh, especially the Instagram and you know I don't have to <laughs> <laughs> no that's good stuff I mean it's the same for us here we we very much run our life it some people think it's sad but we very much run our life with a an our life by a spreadsheet as well like you said you need to have a a date night you know we need to have a lot for our children when we're going to do this because my wife needs to equally plan stuff work stuff so I think it's good that you hit on that because um I think especially when you're working from home or you're running your own business, it's very, very easy to get out of routine. And I see people like this and they say to me, James, you work for yourself. Why do you have to be up at the crack of dawn? I say, it's, you know, it's still a discipline. It's yeah. not that it's not that I can stay in bed till 11, 12 o'clock 
in the day and you know watch Netflix all night. It's still a discipline. There's still a list of tasks to do. So it's great that you guys touch on that point where you say you've established your roles and you've actually blocked time out for yourselves because I think in a relationship that's it. That's extremely important. I think there's nothing wrong. People, I think people get scared when you, they hear that their lives getting run off a routine and a calendar. But I think it's so important. It's not something you should be scared of because it helps keep that. And um, like you say, keep things disciplined and keep those nicer, kind of more personal moments in the calendar. And doesn't let it become all about work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Guys, you talk about roles now. Um, Andrew, be honest with me. Who's the boss in this duo? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> right answer. Right answer. <laughs> <laughs> what she says goes wait till you see the colour of our HMO then you'll know, and then you'll know the bosses mate I'm so glad you answered that the right way because I could have got you in a lot of trouble <laughs> so guys moving on to your HMO and the whole area of property why property why Why was it property for you two oh we you, you don't know the amount of so we we went travelling and I um, the, the book that it wasn't Rich Dad Poor Dad that changed it for me. It was reading the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and that's what I read on when when we were on the road traveling. And um, we'd met this kid a week into our trip, who um, a Canadian guy. He was about twenty two. We were about twenty seven yeah. at the time when we were traveling. He was about twenty two years old. He'd never had a kind of real job, and he was working off his laptop whilst traveling the world, help funding himself. Um, just finished uni and packed his bags and gone. And so all these things for our work week, and we're just thinking, oh my God, there's more to, more to life than this kind of all being an architect working, not even nine to five, working nine to nine or nine till midnight as we as we did. And so we got, when we finished, we moved to Australia and we started just brainstorming, like what can we, what can we do? What can, what can we do for passive income? Um, all sorts of stuff. We were going to sell yeah. green tea. We were going to. We were going to. We were going to um, do online marketing. Yeah, email marketing, all sorts. Yeah. And then um, a little um, advert popped up for uh, um, Robert Kiyosaki and um, Rich Dad education, property yeah. education thing. And that was it. It just, just, just made complete sense. Background as architects, that was the answer for what yeah. we were going to do. Yeah, um, you read rich that poor does the advertisements obviously figured that out yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah we went on a three-day course in australia within a month of kind of being there and um the the people organizing that rich dad poor, poor dad course were brit brits and new zealanders and the brits were like oh you know if you're interested in property you should come back to england and we said but we've only landed here we only landed here a month ago <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to go back to England. Uh, so we kind of just planned uh, from kind of from that moment on because it all fits together better than green tea. Um, we just decided, okay, this makes sense. Let's spend a really, really good time learning things in the background while we were in Australia and actually enjoying living there, enjoying being architects and then come back with a strategy to England and hit the ground running. And that's what we did and came back. 18 months ago and hit the ground running. Yeah. Fantastic. So you laid all the foundations while you were traveling and you knew exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fantastic. So guys, when you got back to England, what was your strategy? How, what did, where did you go? I mean, there's lots and lots of things that you could do service accommodation, rent to rent. There's all these kind of things. How did you know what was the best for you? And did you go through some kind of pattern before you realized your final strategy? Well, yeah, yes and no. We were we were very clear on that we wanted to uh, buy and own our own assets. Um, we were going, but well, we were going to start with kind of vanilla buy to lets and, and build our way up. Um, we came back. We did, we hadn't been in the country for you know officially in the country for for three years, so we'd have no taxpayer history. We had we didn't own our own house, so we had no mortgage or anything like that. And literally no one was interested in giving us a mortgage. Um, so then we had to reevaluate our strategy and we yeah, looked at right. um, rent to rent to SA um, as a starting point. So we went down that road. 
Um, yeah. So for a year, we spoke to a broker, didn't we? We spoke to a few brokers when we arrived, and um, for they told us that for twelve months we couldn't get a mortgage, and um, because we had no records, like Andrew was saying. So therefore, we said, okay, we need to reevaluate our strategy and service accommodation. Rent service accommodation really made sense to us because you don't need to buy your own asset; you just need to. Um, obviously own uh, run it under um, and manage it under a company um and that's what we did so uh, because we couldn't hit the ground running with uh, with buying our own assets we started with a service accommodation company right and how was that for you yeah i thought it, i think it was really good so because we couldn't do we we couldn't do the other strategies for a while we started our service accommodation uh, company for six months it was an absolute headache wasn't it and so for because it's it's a company and it's in a business itself it's not just passive it's quite active until you um you you sort it out and you systemize it it was like oh my god this is so stressful and <laughs> um, but after six months after it, it all systemized we had a uh, we we have a um, great cleaner that runs everything. It's sort of like uh, comes in, sorts out all the, the keys, sorts out all the bedding, everything else. So um, everything gets taken care of in in that sense. And then what we do on our side, we run the systems online, and we have a virtual assistant who does the initial communication with the guests. Um, and then if anything needs to be picked up for us in the kind of down the line, we need to do that. So uh, after six months, it got systemized, which was really, really, we were really happy about. And we don't really visit them or anything like that, which is great. <laughs> no. I think that's the thing with essays. I've been speaking to a couple of chaps on my last podcast and they've got quite a number. I mean, one guy runs nearly 25 essay units. And one of the first things he said was it has to be systemized and streamlined. Otherwise, all you're doing is creating yourself a very, very busy job. Yeah. And he found he was doing exactly the same thing in the early days, going in, washing, bedding, cleaning himself. But now they have it so well streamlined um, that it's working really, really well for them. So I think anybody in SA, you've got to look at it as more than like you've just said, Mary, it's not passive income because there is work to be done and people will sell it to you as, oh, you can just get loads of bookings on Airbnb or bookings.com and you're done with it and you're going to make loads of money when that's not really the truth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you know, yeah. it's a really com- it's a really complex business as well, and specifically at this time, at this climate, when it's so difficult, everyone's kind of housebound and stuff like that. And there's very little preparation you can do. So as soon as we found out, we started to kind of instead of doing Airbnb, we started to actually advertise it and open rent and things like that for longer short-term letting and for relocations. So people actually stay there for longer prior to relocating or when they're relocating to this city. Um, otherwise, if we just left it on Airbnb, booking.com channels like that, I've now closed down. They're not allowed to, you know, they're, they're not allowed to take any bookings. Mm. Have you got it occupied at the moment then with everything going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Touch oh, water. fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. That's yeah. really great news. Yeah. So guys, did you use the income from your essay to then fund your new strategy now? Um, it's supplemented it, yeah. But we, um, we, so we were in Oz for two years whilst we were uh, before we came back and started. So we were also saving whilst we were in Oz. So we brought a pot of money back, kind of a war chest to get started with as well. Um, so yeah, they both do streams. That pot of cash and the SA have been have been funded. Stuff that's been going on. Great. So what is your strategy now? Yeah, so now we um, so we're now able to get mortgages, so that's great. So now we're going back onto what we wanted to do, and that was the buying and holding. Um, we were on our on our kind of one of our first networking events we went to when we came back to um, the UK. We did our twenty second you know stand up uh, open mic pitch thing, and um, a guy came up to us afterwards, and he's an ex um, like site construction manager. He's only our, he's only our age, but he's um, him and his partner and his wife are financially free with about um, 11 HMOs around around That's the right. same area as us. And he came up to us after our 30-second pitch and said, if you guys are you know, two architects, you've got enough background and knowledge in kind of building and construction that you could skip buy to lets um, and go straight into HMOs, um, which is what we kind of wanted to get to anyway because of the, obviously the high cash flow and things like that. We're 
we're wanting passive income, so we want to get we want to get the money working harder for us. And so HMOs is ideal for that. So that's our that's our strategy now. Yeah, I think so. I think we always when people talked about a buy to let, which sound really good anyway um but just to um to do smaller things to us didn't excite us as much (laughs) so we kind of to to think that we were going to actually convert somewhere a lot more than uh, kind of norton a lot more than just doing the carpets and paint on the wall and things like that and excited us a lot more and um to the way we see converting hmos um, is that we actually want to create real tangible uh, value, real tangible floor area. So um, we look at kind of extending into garages and extending into loft spaces and things like that. So it's actually um, more surface area, more area. So when it comes to revaluation, we're actually sure that this is going to get revaluated to a much better value um, than the original value. Because in terms of HMOs, um, to understand kind of what they get revaluated is a little tricky and a little different from your vanilla bytelets. Mm. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I wanted to touch on the point where the the guy at the networking event said to you lot, um, just skip bytelet and go straight onto HMO because you guys have got the skill. I just wanted to say a couple of weeks ago, I think, or a week ago, you did that video on Instagram with the iPad where you were drawing over the rooms and. Yeah. I thought I, I thought that was really really informative and it was an excellent video and I was there locked on watching it and I'm, <laughs> and I'm all I'm almost certain most of the people that watched that were probably like whoa this is some good stuff <laughs> and that was that was really just a you know a testament to your skills there what kind of feedback did you get off of that video yeah that was really one good. of the ones that that one and then I also did a video where a bit more kind of practical workshop video like that where I was going through ROI and yields and those two videos both. Um, yeah, the feedback was kind of off the chain, really. Lots yeah. of people saying that was great. Like, can you know, do more of that? And like you said, really informative. Someone even sent, I, I had a call, call with a guy last a couple of weeks ago now and he was saying that, he was saying to me, he's like, oh, some of the, you give out way more detailed content than most people we see, I see on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And so I, I was thinking maybe I need to start dialing back a bit. Maybe I need to like rate it, rate it in. Maybe I'm giving away too many secrets. But uh, that was, yeah, that was really nice to, to kind of hear that on the phone. But yeah, got, we got amazing. We've had, lots, we've had a lot of amazing feedback over the last couple of months with our daily videos. Um, in general I think yeah I think we love just like sharing um, information with people what we really appreciate it when kind of when we are novices and I'm not saying we're still not novices but when we were novices and we didn't know as much we loved looking at kind of um, Instagram and Facebook and different property groups and things like that and just absorbing all that information and really appreciated everyone who put information out there so just to be able to do that back I think it's really good and and why not because for us, it's just like second nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah I do. I think you're doing a fantastic job at that, by the way. Um, Mary, you said something about that you just did not want to look at the paint your walls, change the carpets. You wanted to look at bigger projects, you know, stuff that really excites you. Um, that's very similar to what I did. You know, when I started my strategy, I was the same. I didn't want to do a buy to let. I didn't want to do a renovation. And I think our first project was a commercial to a to a house really we changed it into a house why is it the bigger stuff that excites you more than the kind of safer buy to buy to let the kind of vanilla stuff the thing that could really keep your portfolio safe when things (laughs) go wrong um mainly because we're both commercial architects so we've mainly worked on much bigger projects and we've been comfortable with projects taking time to complete we've been comfortable with projects going through planning building control and actually we we're we're used to having pushbacks setbacks it doesn't phase us so much and so I think going for bigger project it doesn't bother us so much a project taking six months to complete or up to a year two years a project to take to complete and is kind of more of a norm for us than oh I'll you know, give this a lick of paint and put the carpet down. I'll be like, I'm, I haven't done anything to this house. <laughs> I, I actually think, honest, honestly, for for us to be in our absolute comfort zone would be to go out and build a block of flats because yeah. that's the type of stuff we're used to doing. Mm. 
The only problem is, is that we're in this for cash flow. We're not in this for long-term development capital gain. So that might come later down the line. So if we were in our actual absolute element, what do we know? What could we deliver almost as bread and butter? Okay, we'd need to know a bit more of the actual development side of it, not just the architecture side of it, but that would be our that would be our safe zone. So HMOs is taking us slightly outside of our comfort zone. And take, I think by strangely going further down the chain, is getting further out of our comfort zone and a bit less of a, you know, what have we actually done here? What if we just did a bite to left where we painted the walls and changed the carpet, we'd have to be like, well, what have we done? You know, we don't know what we've actually done to the property. Yeah. I think if, if you guys are commercial architects, surely um, HMOs are probably a bit of a walk in the park for you. You know, if you're used to dealing with <laughs> such massive blocks, you're probably looking at these tiny floor plans going, ah, I could just do that in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It comes with, they come with their own challenges yeah. because... Um, There's a lot of rules and regulations around HMOs. I think that was that was the biggest yeah. thing for us as well, wasn't it? Yeah, there's the whole, the actual on-site that we're just we're com- comfortable with our nine out of ten things that our builder says to us. We have some understanding of it and we can input on it and have our, have our opinion on it. Um, obviously, houses are built very differently to commercial tower blocks. So there's a slightly different thing there. But you're right. It's, it's, it is, in terms of the architecture design and everything, it's, it's just a small-scale commercial building. It's, it's ideal for what we want to do. I wanted to touch on HMOs. Um, I recently finished a HMO myself. I don't know if you saw this. I posted this, Andrew, where I had a bit of an issue with one of the ensuite bathrooms where the gap between the toilet pan and the wall was questionable. Now, the whole house was passed, and it's this one minor thing that's overlooked. Now, granted, it was a small gap. I'm not going to lie. It was a very tight gap. And the HMO's building regs have signed it all off, saying it's all absolutely fine. Uh, HMO inspectors come along and he's saying James we've got a problem here and obviously we couldn't move the toilet anywhere else because it was such a small space he's talking about pulling the wall out doing this and I'm thinking man I've got tenants moving in next week what do I do in the end we were able to overcome the problem by finding a slightly smaller depth toilet but you know with HMO on suites you're already using quite a compact toilet as it is and to to find a smaller toilet I couldn't believe it it was like three or four hundred pounds just to find something that was 580 mil but it got me across the line and it got the line ticked so brings me back to my point where you guys say there's so many regulations that you need to meet or you've got to be pretty sharp and make sure you're doing things correctly did that phase you at all with hmos it's not phased us but what is incredibly frustrating in uh, in our area is that the um the guidance is very gray and I think they've probably done that on purpose so that they can they can wiggle themselves out of situations. But um, you know, we we we've overegged quite a few things in our HMO because we would rather it be overdone than them turn around and tell us we haven't it's not sufficient and making us change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I don't think it's phased. It's just and if you try and ring our HMO officers. You know, the HMO officers in our areas, they're trying to shut you down before you've even bought the house. Like they're, 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 absolute, they're, absolute, <laughs> they're absolute nightmares. So they're not, yeah. they're not helpful at all. I think that's the only thing that kind of phased us, wasn't it? <laughs> or the main thing that phased us was the fact that um, the information that we're used to seeing is very clear cut. Yeah, um, so we true. so we know how to work with it, like build, you know, <clears throat> normal building regs, planning um, issues and things like that. Fire issues are very clear cut, whereas with HMO, it's very grey. Whereas one HMO has passed their license by doing one type of thing and the other one is, has done something completely different with their fire like having you know break glass this that and the other and you think okay the same it's the same product why is it (laughs) why is it so different and from officer to officer as well we've heard stories from that you know people we know have got a they've got one they've got two hmos on the same street and the a different officer came to the second one and told them they had to make all the sinks bigger and put towel rails on in all the on suites and the one down the obviously they didn't say this, but the one three 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 doors down the road doesn't have has the same sinks and doesn't have towel rails. But it's just who's come in and what mood they're in. You're in completely in the hands of the hands of the gods. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. I've got I've got some first hand experience in that. My HMO here in London, it's still pending a license two and a half years later 
and they're telling me it's in the waiting list, but I can carry on functioning. And you think, <laughs> what, two and a half years later and you still haven't got round to it. Whereas up in the Northeast, the HMO officer's fantastic. As soon as I rang him and told him I was converting it to HMO, yeah. he came out to see us. We had a coffee together, a spot of lunch wow. together. Yeah. And he is absolutely superb. We have his direct dial number. We can call him. And he really wants to work with you because he is so excited that he's now got some people, investors coming in that are building houses as they should be and really, yeah, really nice right. finishes with en-suites. Whereas he's so used to dealing with people where there's damp, you know, they meet yeah. no regulations, there are fire hazards. So for him, he walks into these places and he's like, oh man, you guys make my job so enjoyable. And it no, kind of, it's... you'd think you'd think down in London, it'd be a little bit more organized, but no, it's, it's just a shambles. Two and, and a half years. That's crazy. Gosh. <laughs> two, two and a half years i mean if he does come round anytime soon and he turns around and says this is not right this is not right i'm shutting you down how does that work it's i want to know now i've got tenants in there yeah yeah exactly at least you've been operating for two and a half years <laughs> yeah. well yeah yeah how long is it till you get grandfather rights? i think it's like 10 years so you might be a while off for that yeah yeah so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> guys so hmo is your strategy and you mentioned it's a cash flow strategy am i right yeah yeah, yeah that's right yeah yeah absolutely i think we um because we as well we invest um, in the north in yorkshire and we look at um cash flow the, and another reason why we chose hmo is because the cash cash flows um higher than a buy to let um and obviously the kind of the um the, the plan for it or the vision for it is that it'll, it'll free us up from working our um, full-time nine-to-five job. You, you spoke earlier about being financially free or you mentioned financially free. Do you mind telling the listeners what financially free is? Because there, I reckon there'll be a few people on here that don't actually realise what it is. So to you, well, what, what is financial freedom? <laughs> Um, for me, it's not having to trade time for money. That's what financial freedom is to me. Um, I even don't call it retirement because that's as far as I'm concerned is that I'm retiring. You retire from most people retire. They, they, you know, they finish working and they're supported by kind of some other means. And instead of it being a pension, it will hopefully be my property portfolio that's, that's supporting me. So um, that's what I see financial freedom as. And I also think a lot of people overestimate what what number they need for financial freedom. So we we reckon we can be financially free off um, three HMOs. We've said five, so we've got some buffer. You know, we don't want to be just literally cutting, cutting it fine over above the th- above the threshold. But <laughs> yeah. we, you know, it's it doesn't take doesn't take as much as some people think. Yeah, to become financially free. Yeah, I totally agree with you there because I was kind of, when I first looked at financial freedom targets, I was adding all this nonsense into it. And then I realized it's actually a very, very small number. And like you guys said, for you, it's three HMOs. And for me down here, it's two, two in London. And you hit that financial freedom. But for me, financial freedom is waking up every morning and you know every single thing in your life in terms of bills is just covered. And that can be a relatively small figure And then on top of that, what you're making from your properties allows you to have the lifestyle that you want. And I think this is where people get very confused with it, where they think, oh, my financial fee number needs to be 15 grand a month. Mm, Well, no, it doesn't really need to be 15 grand a month. It might need to be your lifestyle number, but your financially free number is actually a lot, lot smaller than you actually think it is. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So great, great. Guys, you mentioned investors. You work with investors. Uh, you have investors. Um, yeah. How, how do you how do you get them on board when you need them? Um, we've actually had investors come to us through um, every possible avenue at the minute. Friends and family. We've had people contact us through our website. People contact us through social media. People through um, you know Facebook property groups that aren't you know that aren't our particular yeah. ones. Um, so yeah, we've had them from all different avenues. Um, so. It's actually slightly frustrating because it'd be good to know that they were all coming from one source, so we could focus <laughs> focus all our energy on it. But um, yeah, it's coming from coming from multiple different streams. So yeah, you know, we've got um, we've got two or three that are working with them in it. Yeah, that's right. So um, we um, we have JV partnership. So what we're, in terms of investors, we look at JV partnerships or. Let's see. 
Angel. Angel investment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with JV Partnerships, we'd prefer to know the person, obviously. Uh, with Angel Investments, um, it's kind of a, a no-brainer, really. It's somebody who actually has a pot of money on the side that they want to make a lot more uh, money out of, and they've got no chains or no kind of no issues. And after a certain amount of months, we just give them a, a really good interest rate. Yeah. Back. So we try and always... So our one JV partner we've got at the minute was a you know family friend, so we were quite comfortable to um, to do that from the outset. But generally, we um, we encourage our investors to go on an angel investor basis with us to start with. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of legal ties to somebody with a JV in terms of you know opening business together, financial mm-hmm. structures together, etc. That we don't think should be taken lightly. Um, so we like to, to encourage our investors to do an angel investment with us for you know six months or whatever it might be, and that way we get to know each other, get to see how each other works, understand that you know when when funds are needed they come, when funds are needed to be returned we're paying it back on time, etc., and just feel each other out and make sure we 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 like working with with each other and we get on with each other and share the same values, and then we can move into into JV partnerships. Andrew, do you want to just let the listeners know what the difference is between the two, between an angel investor and a JV partner? So from our perspective, an angel investor would, um, they would provide a a, a, a pot of cash, um, let's just call it 50K or something, um, and we would just pay them a fixed interest return on that money on, on a set period of time, which would typically be on a, you know, between the start of a project and uh, it being refinanced, for example. So we pay them X percentage on that, and that would just be returned either on a monthly basis or rolled up at the end. Whereas a JV partner is um, with the JV partner and ourselves are bringing two different skill sets together to form a kind of an SPV company. That's typically the JV partners bringing the funds and we're bringing all the time and management skills. Um, and then what we would generally do is split all profits then going forward 50-50 um, between the two, between ourselves and the JV partner. Oh, fantastic. You, you uh, explained that really, really well. <laughs> I, I, I always explain it as a girlfriend and a wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> I can use that one next time, <laughs> Yeah. So, guys, um, I want to talk to you about training courses and mentors. Okay. what's your opinions on them I, I i absolutely love training i love mentors i love courses as well some of them are quite bogus but what are your opinions on courses training and mentors and do you have any mentors yeah we we have uh, we've done many a training courses haven't we yeah um and we we have we have mentors as well and um, i think to start off with we did a three-day training course just to get us to get you know find out what property investments like i we thought that was really really useful so just doing kind of a intensive three-day or two-day course to know to get to know what property is all about is really good like a beginner's thing you know basically from having no idea to oh okay yeah i could go buy a property you know might not do it well but actually just understanding the basics what's what it involves yeah and what brr is how to calculate things etc we found that to be really really interesting and um, really good um, and then going after that i think doing specific courses of what field you want to get to into what strategy you get into into is really good so for example then from that we went on to do a service accommodation so when we came back like we said from australia to england and we wanted to get into rent to rent we did service accommodation course just so we knew how to open the business up and how to run it smoothly and that again was a um a two-day intensive course um i think they're really good i think a lot of courses Um, or a lot of uh, these companies try to encourage you to do a 12-month mentorship or a six-month mentorship and and sell you loads and loads of courses but actually why you know you 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 actually need to understand your area and your strategy um before you want to 
apply your money and spend your money in all these courses because you can end up doing every course and then thinking actually I wasn't interested in any of these and then you're out of pocket by I don't know 10k 15k 25k without actually wanting these because they've convinced you that this is a really good idea and so specific ones were really good for us and then again when we knew you we wanted to do um hmo we got um hmo mentors yeah. uh, which have really helped us kind of because they know they're in it they can help us we have we basically got our mentor on a we need to ask you loads of questions basis um and can you help us yeah. Um, yeah, we so want we want good. someone to be there when we're tripping over a hurdle. That's what we want. We don't want uh, someone who's going to sit us down for two days and give us a script. We um, in architecture, you it's all very staged. You do like a part one, and then you do a year in industry, and then a part two, and then you do your final chartership at the end. There's all these kind of like different parts, and you always have someone who's in the next kind of bracket above you that's kind of helping you and um, pulling you up the ladder. As a, you know, as a mentor, so we really understood the value of mentors. Um, and the same thing, when we were moving up the ladder, we would have someone kind of come underneath us that we would be mentoring as well. So we we've really understood that, really understood the value of it and really do see the benefit of having mentors. But I think Mary is spot on that you need to make sure that, or in happen, you need to make sure that you're getting a mentor that is specific to what you strategy are you doing or what you need and want from a mentor and to just be wary of not going and signing up to you know a 12 month mentoring program with a with a company that you know you it's very broad and vague and you're not really sure what you're kind of getting from it Mm -hmm. no some good advice there my advice to everybody is first of all when you're when you're going off for a training course with someone it's just to do some company research on them and do do your due diligence on them find out what their company structures like are they skin are they making some money are they making losses because it's very easy to check on company's house if somebody's selling you a course are they actually making any money in their property business or yeah. is the education business the thing that's funding them yeah um and i think especially the younger guys getting into it they're being sold i feel a dream that they can just go on a course and yeah. automatically they're gonna they're gonna produce something and you guys know and i know that it's a lot more difficult than that it's not just you turn up on a course and the next day you're going to have a property or you can ring a hundred agents and you're going to have a rent to rent. It's uh, it's getting a lot more tougher. Yeah. So yeah. guys, you're, do you, do you have a mentor at the moment? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. We have mentors and money here. Um, it's like Mary said, eight most specific mentors we work with. Mm -hmm. That's great to know. I have a mentor. A lot of people take the mick out of me for having a mentor, but <laughs> I feel it keep it keeps me in check with, uh, with calls. It's somebody I can uh, push back on when I need some advice yeah. And, and and just documentation, I needed a legal agreement the other day and I was quoted a couple of thousand pounds to put it together from some solicitors and I just happened to have it in my Dropbox from this mentor and it's like, you know, that's kind of paid for itself just yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. A lot, quite often the documents pay for themselves well on the yeah. advice. Um, we had a really, with our mentor a few weeks ago, one of the troubles we've been having lately, um, just had an hour just going back and forth on it and it was, that was, that was just invaluable. Someone yeah. with the knowledge that they had just working through everything with us, which was mm. yeah, valuable. It's like this. It's like this little person that sits on your left hand shoulder who's just looking out <laughs> for you. And you can yeah. just call up on whenever you need them. <laughs> Guys, COVID nineteen. How's it affecting you? And how's it affecting your current project? And has it affected you? Um, yeah, it has. It's affected us in multiple ways. Um, so I've been I've been placed on furlough of my of my day job. Um, no, I'm not actually. I'm actually quite happy about the whole situation. I'm getting <laughs> to, um, and we're, we're fine. We you know it's okay from a financial perspective for us. And I'm getting to. Tim Ferriss talks a lot about mini retirements, and I'm getting to try out. I'm getting to try out full time property for three months. So it's um, it's great. I'm getting a little taste of what it's going to be like, and already seeing some of the hurdles that we might cover. Uh, I have to cover when I when we do eventually get out of the day job. So it's that's that's good. And then um, it did make us look at our finances, didn't it? Yeah. We kind of tend to look at our finances. You look at your good, you do, yeah, yeah. You look at it regularly, but we really kind of sat there looking at finances because obviously we've got money going out 
to do projects um, which are you know halfway through completion and obviously with the climate at the moment it's so uncertain so we really need to check back and see how we're doing yeah. financially and really streamline ourselves yeah. as much as possible so we kind of looked at all our statements everything like that anything that we thought okay this is not you know this is not essential we took it out mm. and we made all the kind of relevant contacts and said can you freeze this can you freeze this can you freeze this because you know we're unable to pay at the moment we're quite streamlined anyway we're quite minimalist and we don't have big expenditures but even so we still managed to find fat in our yeah. uh, in our budgets that we managed to take out and hopefully everyone everyone else has been um, been looking at the same in this situation in terms of like the actual properties um we've been having we are having problems with COVID because we, we're trying to keep the project going and trying to get it over the line. Um, we're having to restrict the number of people on site at one time. And if a tradesman only wants to work in isolation, then we have to kind of honour that and um, give, give them the free reign of the site on that day that they want to be in. So there's been challenges. Um, as soon as this whole thing started to kick off and before the lockdown got put in place, we started to see that lockdowns were getting put in into other countries and i i just i just went into into panic mode and i didn't go by to- buying toilet roll i went buying i went buying materials i needed to finish my project and i was stockpiling them in the house so <laughs> i've got like 99 percent of the materials there there's one or two things that are missing but um yeah. it's all on the site so you know as long as i can get people onto the site the work can be the work can be done but yeah i was driving around all the, all the DIY stores loading up the back of the car um I had a delivery on the so we got locked down on the Monday and the Friday before I had a delivery come in and I was just like I'm not even taking the risk and on the Tuesday I just went I just went to the shop and picked it up myself I was like I'm not even going to wait till Friday to see if it gets delivered <laughs> and got it yeah and I was like right it's in the house it's in the house now and the builder was getting mad because I was um, yeah he was Filling losing work, he was losing workspace but I was like well look it's either I don't put it here and then you you stop working in a week or um, I get it on site and then you can at least carry on. Yeah. Oh, guys, I love your thinking. That's exactly what I would have done. You know, go and get the materials. Forget the food. Forget the toilet roll. <laughs> yeah. Forget anything you need to live on. Make sure you got your plasterboard so that your builders can carry on. Yeah. That's just superb. Right, okay. uh, guys, you, guys, you talked about um, you looked at your cash and your finances. One of the first things, like you said, Andrew, you panicked. First thing I did, I kind of panicked as well. I looked at a 90-day cash flow. It was a personal cash flow and a business cash flow. And I looked at every single cost. And, you know, you don't, personally, I don't really do it a lot. And I started looking down on my personal statement and started thinking, why am I paying this? Why am I paying this? Why do we have this subscription? And you look at it and you think, I'm paying £950 a year to a Sky subscription that nobody even watches, but it just sits there, you know? And it's only that COVID's giving you the kick up the arse to look there and think, okay, I need to squeeze back. I need to reduce my finances. How important do you think it is for people to carry out 90-day cash flow forecasting in their business and personally? Yeah, yeah, massive, massive. Mary said, Mary, not so much, but I do genuinely regularly look at our cash flow um, He's pretty, the numbers man. I do do it pretty much every month, um, if give or take. You know, maybe every six weeks or something. If I let it slip a bit, but I do generally try to try to update our, our formula every every month and look at it. I think it's important. If you don't know where your cash is going, I don't know how you can um, you know prepare for and plan for what you need to be coming in to in to cover it. Yeah, um, and I, I think, think it's we- vital. We tend to most most of us in kind of um, in this world now, especially in Western Europe, we tend to overstretch ourselves and live to our limits, um, or sometimes beyond our limits. Uh, so just yeah. kind of reviewing that on a daily, uh, not on a daily basis, sorry, on a monthly basis, or like you say, like ninety days to say, okay, am I okay? Where am I? What if something happens? I think it's really, really vital because things like this, like the recession that we experienced um, in 2008 and what we're, the Brexit we experienced and what we're experiencing now, it really teaches us that nothing's predictable um, and we just need to be kind of prepared and not yeah. overstretch ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's a great 
I think that's a great point you make there, actually. Yes, because isolation, I've found, has taught a lot of people, or I've witnessed that there's a lot of people that are just running month to month. And big organisations are running month to month. I mean, I used to be in the print sector, and I'm looking at some of the guys I know in print, and I had a brief conversation with a few. I won't name any names. And they're saying, James, I'm going to have to go bankrupt. I'm going to have to go into liquidation. And I'm thinking... This is a 15-year-old firm. Are you honestly telling me that you've got no you have, don't have more than 10 weeks cash flow to keep going? And it absolutely shocked me into thinking I need to change my strategy as well because I have a HMO strategy as well, pretty similar to yours. I've had some major issues where I have one house where they've just refused to completely stop paying te- rent. We got mm-hmm. one tenant who's egged on everybody else and they've just stopped paying rent. Yeah. We got another house feel fortunately which is okay, but I was speaking to a friend of mine and he has a portfolio of 50 vanilla buy to lets that just go to DSS tenants. And he said to me, James, I don't have any problems whatsoever. I'm fully hundred percent paid this month and I will be next month. And I'm thinking to myself, I kept away from that little niche because I thought it was going to be problematic, but I'm stepping back now and I'm looking at my friend thinking, you're the one who's laughing now because you have a mixture of HMOs and DSS tenants. And it's this whole isolation thing that got me thinking, now's the time where I need to mix it up, mix the strategy up and have a little bit of everything so that if one strategy, if this happens again, because HMOs are affected, but yeah. it seems that DSS or universal credit is, is fully paying up houses and people and landlords in that angle seem to be okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys going to be looking to change your strategy in any way or preparing for something like this in the future if it does ever happen again? I think focus on, we strongly believe on focusing on one strategy at the moment, which is the HMOs, and that will be focused on until we become hit that financial freedom figure. But then definitely after that, we would like to diversify a bit, supplement it with, with vanilla buy to less because of exactly what you said, they are more of that kind of bedrock, stable um, income, kind of more of that let and forget, so to speak. Um, and then even then moving the other way as well into commercial conversions and things like that. We yeah. definitely want to yeah, mix things up a bit. I think just to touch on what you've mentioned as well, um, and for anyone who might be listening who might be newer to property, it's good to focus for a period of time on one thing at a time. Um, because when you put your full focus in something, you do it properly, you do it well. Um, if you try to focus on lots of different things, I think you can kind of lose momentum and lose focus on like on a certain thing. But um I think kind of give yourself time for different strategies. But absolutely what you're saying, James, is you should diversify. So as soon as you you know you've got, for example, a number of HMOs that you're happy about, you should diversify and move into a different one and a different one. For example, when we did for the first 12 months, we couldn't buy houses. So we started with um, service accommodation and then we were comfortable with that. We moved on to doing HMOs. So it wasn't that long amount of time that we got used to one thing and then move on to another but then we kind of we did and diversified already no that's some fantastic bit of advice yeah i think a lot of clear focus and uh, understanding your strategy and understanding one market and mastering it before you move on to onto something else and explore that because it's very easy to kind of just do a little bit of this little bit of this little bit of this and before you know it you're not actually doing anything you're just you've got your toes dipped in every single thing some great advice there. Guys, I'm going to finish it off. I want to ask you one question, which froze a lot of people. Um, no. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. Guys, what's one, what's one vice you could not live without? One vice? Oh, God. One thing you must do that you just cannot live without? Uh, this is, well, isolation. Uh, depending on how long isolation is going on, if I don't get to go on holiday, I'm going to, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in trouble. We look, we um, turn this slightly against turn the question slightly. We um, we're big believers in kind of balance in life. Like, yeah, okay, we're doing all this property stuff because we want the financial freedom, and you know, make we are making sacrifices in order to hopefully build a better future for ourselves. But we also believe that you still need to be enjoying yourself whilst you're doing that. And so, traveling, we literally before we went traveling, we 
we wouldn't take a day off work unless we were going on holiday somewhere and all our money went into going abroad and going to visit places. And even though we've been buying properties last year, we still managed to go to eight countries and six of which were new. That was in 2019. Um, so we've only been to one, one on one trip this year and now I, we, I think we're going to end up having two, two trips cancelled as a result of COVID. <laughs> So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be like scratching the walls by the end of it. Travel travel is my vice, I think. Yeah, and then tea is mine. I love tea. <laughs> <laughs> so so you guys are having serious withdrawal symptoms at the moment because you can't travel. <laughs> serious withdrawal symptoms, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, guys, I'm gonna finish it off by asking you where can people connect with you because you're obviously doing some fantastic stuff uh, you're putting some really really great content out there and that's coming from me who watches your content and follows you Thank how you. can people connect with you um can they reach out to you ask you questions etc cetera, etc cetera? yeah by all means anybody can reach out to us and ask us anything we're always happy to help anybody and hear from anybody in the industry Thank obviously you. during this whole lockdown period as well if anyone wants to have a zoom call with us just just reach out and give us a shout yeah um main platform is instagram so at elite investor group and you can go visit our website contact us through there yeah, facebook as well. com and facebook the same elite investor group uh facebook.com um, yeah, and um, uh, any most social media platforms, you can just kind of find us. Um, our um, our logo is a teal colour. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see the teal, awesome. Elite Investor Group. <laughs> now that's fantastic, guys. Andrew, I always see you at the PPN Network event. I'm sure yeah. I will see you again. And once this is all over, it'd be great to catch up and, you know, oh, maybe have a couple of beers together and look back at this whole COVID thing and just think, what the hell was that stupid virus all about and have a great yeah. laugh about it. Yeah. But guys, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast and the video cast. And thank you very much, firstly, for delivering so much value. Um, you know, I've thank learned you. a few things myself. And I think it's always beneficial to share your experiences because I feel people coming up behind us, uh, the younger lot, um, can always benefit from the mistakes that we've made or the experiences that we have gone through. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your time. And uh, no doubt we will catch up very, very soon. Um, thanks for being on the j podcast. Thank yeah, you for having, having us. James. Thank you, James. No problems at all. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, Feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.